Well, welcome, Village Green, and nice to have you all here today. Um, you know, before I get into content, I, I do have another condolence, unfortunately, to add. You know, um, uh, just got an email yesterday that Louise Dakin lost her sister, Marjorie Finley. Um, I believe it was Friday. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe she passed away at University Hospital on, on Friday. And, uh, you know, she's asking for prayer, especially for her husband, Duncan, and, and the family at this time. But, but pray for Louise as well and their family as they're experiencing. As, and as I said in the prayer, that just we've, we've had a lot of losses over this last time. I don't know if you've been keeping track, but there are a lot of people within our congregation who have lost loved ones. And, uh, you know, to add that grief on top of everything that is happening to, to many people around the world, I just, I just hope that you are taking time to pray for everyone, for God's strength, and for God's peace. And also, I want to, I want to you know, before, this is the last, by the way, uh, sermon in this series before we look at next week, next week that starts our anniversary service. But I do want to take a moment to just thank all the volunteers that, that help out with the services each and every week. It's been a very stressful few weeks. You know, we're very glad to be back on YouTube this morning and everything working fine. Um, you know, I'm very thankful for the staff, very thankful for all the volunteers and the people who give tirelessly to make sure that every week we are connecting with you and et cetera, et cetera. So thank you for that. And I want to also thank those of you that continue to give faithfully to the church. It's so vitally important. You know, uh, we still have a building to maintain, all kinds of other things that are going on. You know, there may be a pandemic going on, but there's a lot of things that still demand our time and our efforts and our dollars. And I just, you know, thank you very much because the ministry continues, you know. Um, the church is still alive. The church is still well. God is still doing work. There are people being saved. We've had baptisms. There's all kinds of things that are happening. And I just want to thank you for the many that continue to support the church and give financially in order that we can continue the ministry. So all of that being said, you know, here we are at the last week of Bright Living. We've been looking at the letter of First John. And, you know, we began this whole series saying that this is a letter that is written by the Apostle John. And John was, you know, one of, the, one, of one of Jesus's closest disciples. And John is writing this really powerful letter that, that, that brings two tensions together. It's the truth of God and the love of God that are brought together. Like a lot of times we don't think those things can coexist because if you lean on the side of love of God, you know, there's, there's, there's a sense in which we can look past some of the truths of God because sometimes the truths can, can seem pretty harsh, can seem so outlandish or, or not in step with the culture. And, and that can cause some real tensions for us. But John doesn't kind of, you know, um, go one side or the other. He absolutely embraces both because he walked with Jesus. And Jesus exemplified truth and love, you know, truth and grace. Jesus didn't mince words when, when he approached people about the difficulties they were having, the sins that they were experiencing. And, but at the same time, he, he demonstrated a capacity and love 
that the religious leaders just weren't able to do in that, in that period of time. And, and even though Jesus would say clearly to somebody, you know, uh, you're a sinner, you need to stop doing this, this is a difficult part of your life, this is an ugly part of your life, people would still gather around him because he demonstrated such a compassion and a heart of love for them. And that is what John is communicating in this letter. And sometimes, and we said, as we've gone through different parts of this letter, we have said there are times where John is very stark in the truth. He doesn't mix words at all. At the same time, he is fully embracing the love of God in the midst of that truth. And that's, that's why this little letter is so powerful, because both of those things come together. And as I've said, in our lives, I think one of the most difficult things is balancing those two you know, components in our lives when we're believers, because they are such a hard thing to balance. You know, It's very easy for me to act loving to certain people and to certain, you know, individuals that I care very much about. It's easy. And in fact, I could even kind of mitigate the truth a little bit because, you know, of who I'm talking to and who I care about. And yet there's others that I don't have any emotional attachment to that I can be very truthful with. And it can come off very harsh and it can come off very, you know, legalistic and all those kinds of things. And we've all been in those places where we've tried to balance those two as best as we can. But that's the reality and that's the human tension that we live in. And yet John is telling us to live with those two tensions, um, you know, and fully embrace those, those two tensions in our lives. So um, we're going to look at the very last chapter uh, chapter 5, the entire ch- chapter 5 of 1 John. I'm just going to highlight a number of verses, and I'm going to uh, you know, not do the entire 21 verses, but we're going to kind of piggyback off a few of them, give you a few lessons. And for those of you that are in life group, you're going to have to read it all, and you're going to have to um, work through all the different parts of this particular letter. So let me begin with the first five verses of chapter five, all right? Everyone, John, and and by the way, this chapter five, it's basically a summary chapter of everything that John's already told us about. So we're going to see some things recurring here. So here's what John says as he begins chapter five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Now, I, you know, can I just stop for a minute? To be, to be considered a child of God is really a powerful phrase, okay? It's, it's, a, it's, it's in the hands of, you are now residing in the hands of a loving parent that is going to care for you, is going to mold you and shape you. Um, into the person that you should be. Like all the imagery of positive parenting and positive upbringing are all embraced in this particular. You know, you're given the spirit of God. You are considered a brand new creation. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. The child of God imagery is really powerful. And if you remember, all through this letter, John has been saying to the believers that he's writing to, my dear children. He's treating them as, as lovingly and affectionately as part of a family that, you know, no, no other institution can kind of embrace you in the kind of family dynamics that being a Christian does. So that's, that's where John starts, right? And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love and obey his commandments, 
Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Every, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. We're going to highlight all those things in a moment. And, and who can win this battle against the world? Only, only, listen to this, for those of you that are struggling today, who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what's really powerful about what John does here, John sort of uh, articulates three spiritual hallmarks of what it means to be a true believer. And he highlights those three spiritual hallmarks. And I'm going to articulate them in a minute. But what's really neat about these, these um, spiritual hallmarks is this, is that if I'm, as a believer, I believe that these are in the order that are the most difficult for me to live out really well. That's what's neat about the way that John has structured this. He has started from the most difficult thing for us to exercise as believers and, and you know, gone through three of them. And the first one's going to be the hardest. The second one's going to be, you know, not so hard. The third one's going to be the easiest if we claim to be believers. But what's really neat for somebody who's not a believer, for someone outside the church, someone who doesn't, you know, believe in God or anything like that, when they look at someone who is a believer, it's, it's the reverse of this order. The first thing that's really hard for a believer to do well is the very thing that a person outside the church is going to look to first and foremost. They're going to say, oh, are they acting in the way that they claim to be a follower and act in that particular way? So you're probably guessing what the very first thing is going to be, but the very first thing is love. Okay, my argument would be of the, of the three spiritual hallmarks, love in John's gospel is like number one in all of this. That if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we are going to love like Jesus loved. Okay, and that's what's, again, I would, I would claim that this is the hardest thing for Christians to live out the, the very best. Because as I said earlier, it's easy when it comes to certain individuals, certain people in our lives, it's easy for us to express love to them, okay? And it's reciprocated love. But there are so many people, you know, in, in our world that if we applied that kind of love that we would have to somebody else, like somebody that we really care about, to people that we have no idea who they are, that's not always an easy transition for us to make, but for people outside the church, people who are not believers, if there's one thing they look for when it comes to being a Christian is love. That's what, what, what they look for. It's not going to be the other two things that we're going to talk about in a minute. Because love is, 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 is this kind of catalyst that, that you know, um, ignites in me the person of Jesus Christ in a very powerful way. It doesn't ne- neglect truth at all. But it's the way it's expressed to the people around us where that truth comes alive is, is the way we handle this thing called love. And people outside the church, that is the number one thing they're looking for because without that love, as I've said many, many times before, we can't get past their ears. And if you can't get past a person's ears, you will never get to their heart. Because if you're not loving or caring to them, if they feel you're just, they're just an object to you and you're just 
that they're a project to you and you don't really care about them, they're not really interested in hearing what you have to say. So that's why this, this thing, love, is such a dynamic thing, whether inside the church or outside the church. So um, I think the question that you have to ask yourself when it comes to love is, do I love God and his family? And notice that John talks about being part of the community of faith. Do you love God and do you love the other children in God's family as, as a child of God? And does it shape my spiritual priorities? That when I get up in the morning, are my spiritual priorities of the day is to learn more about how I can live my life as a believer like Jesus and love like Jesus did. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The most, most courageous thing you can do in your life is, you know, not climb Mount Everest, not swim the Atlantic or you know, any of the most courageous thing you can do in this life is to love like Jesus loved. It'll be the hardest thing that you'll do. It'll make the greatest demands on you. It'll, it'll push you in, in ways and challenge you in ways that I believe nothing else in this world will challenge you. It is the hardest thing to do. It's the most courageous thing to do. But it's also the most powerful demonstration of who it is that you have faith in, is, is Jesus and loving like him. The second thing that John brings about is obedience. Now, as a believer, that's just a natural outworking of what, what, I, what, what I believe God expects. You know, John in this, in this section talks about, you know, following God's commandments, being obedient to, um, you know, the, the commandments of Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we love as Jesus loved, but being obedient to the Father and being obedient to our Heavenly Father for all the things um, that we're called to do. Now, people outside the church kind of look at it and say, well, of course you have to be obedient. You know, if you believe something, you might as well be a person who, who acts like you actually believe it. And, and uh, you know, we would expect you to be believe, you know, obedient to the truth that, that you claim, okay? So that's not, you know, so much uh, a tension thing. But at the same time, if you don't love... For, for people outside the church, in, in a way, they think you're not being obedient to what it is to be, be like Jesus. So the two are kind of interconnected. So they're really important for us to kind of see how it affects people outside the church when we're not loving and when we're not obedient. All right? Um, the question is that you have to ask yourself is, do I obey the Lord from a willing heart? Is, is, is there a constant struggle in your life, a constant tension in your life to do what you know um, is right in God's eyes? Or is there a, a, you know, a, a, a constant battle going on in your heart over being obedient, over, over things that you know that Scripture is really clear about? Okay? Um, the third thing is faith. And again, faith, um, you know, is is probably the easiest thing. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, you've surrendered your life, you've made that, you know, progression of faith. You know, I would, I would argue that's kind of like the easiest part of opening in your heart and saying, I believe. Uh, the harder parts are being obedient to what it is that Jesus says, and then subsequent to that is loving like Jesus loved. That's where it gets harder and harder. For a person outside the church, and they say, okay, well, it's fine what you believe, and we expect you. You know, that's your faith. That's, you know, that's an easy thing for us to accept 
concerning who you are as an individual. I want to see how you love. I want to see how that faith materializes in obedience to your God and how that obedience you know, relates to the way that you love other people. So you see how it works kind of opposite when it's when there's people inside the church, right? It's, it's in a particular order. When it's people outside the church, it's the reverse order. And that's, that's what's really neat about this particular passage um, from the Apostle John. And, and here is where faith, at least the way that John projects it in these first five verses, is that do I live in victory over spiritual enemies? That, you know, John's talking about having victory over the world, this kind of, you know, terminology that he, that he, that he talks, that, that, you know, you walk outside your front door, everything's an enemy. That's not necessarily what John is talking about here. And if you remember a few, a few messages ago, uh, we talked about the world being, being this antagonistic part of culture that is totally against God. That, that it's the part of the culture that we live in that, you know, uh, mimics um, and makes fun of and is sarcastic about anything that, that pertains to God. You know, the darkness of this world, the, the evil that happens that people don't want to kind of uh, acknowledge. In fact, it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder in the culture that we live in to even hear the word evil attached to anything. Even in the most heinous of crimes, um, I've yet in, in quite a while seeing the term evil attached to it, because that's how far we've drifted from being able to acknowledge that certain things that happen and certain, you know, activities against other human beings, um, we're afraid to even call it evil. And yet, that's exactly what they are, right? But in John's, but in John's little letter here, he's actually highlighted three areas um, where spiritual enemies exist. And number one is what's brought out in this passage is the world. But in subsequent passages that, that, that we looked at past, it's also our own flesh, our own desires, our own difficulties. John's talked a number of times about there are times that we sin, that we make mistakes, that we do things against God. And we can come to God and be forgiven for that, that we can pray to God and ask God to, to heal our hearts and, and you know, restore us to fellowship with him and, 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 and find that sense of healing when we bow our heads and we say, Lord, we were wrong. That was, that was, that was not something that would make you happy. Forgive me. And that's, that's the personal thing that happens. There's this regeneration that continually happens when we ask for forgiveness and we find a renewal of our spirit and a renewal of our heart and a, a healing once again from the things that have kind of like been holding us down. In fact, John has talked very much about how fear comes into our lives and fear actually, you know, has threatens the way that we can love at times. Okay, so the flesh, and then John has talked about the devil outright. So, you know, the, the, the one, the dark one, who tries to, you know, you know, promote lies within our own lives, you know. I've, I've joked many times in the classroom with all these students, you know, I've said many, many times, I, I've said, you know, I may not know you, but I know, I can, I can know two things about you. I, I, I can know that you are... Uh, I know what God's primary will is for your life, 
That's one thing I say to them. I know that God's primary life for, for you is that you become conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. That if you claim to be a believer, I know that's the primary will of God in your life. And the second thing I know is you're probably living with one lie that the Bible could probably correct. Because that's just the tension area that we all, we all live with, right? Because we're human. And, and the process of growing uh, spiritually is replacing lies with truth. And the devil is, 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 is a master at lies and a master of taking something that's good and just twisting it ever so slightly so it sounds good, it's enticing, but in the end, it brings us to a place that is not very healthy, that's not very healing, that's not very, you know, even spiritual, if you want to say it that way. Okay? So that's, that's the thing about this particular um, passage, that it highlights these three elements of spiritual hallmarks that make us very, um, that are important. If you're a believer uh, here this morning, those are three hallmarks of your life that you need to take seriously. And, and, and nurture so it becomes healthy spirituality for you. All right, let's keep going. Um, we're jumping down, what verse are we, oh, to, down to 16 and 17. Um, I, I felt I had to deal with this passage in, in the Bible, so, because um, it's a difficult passage. Uh, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person Life. So you see somebody, a fellow believer, doing something wrong. You know, pray for them and help them. You know, um, so that's that's a type of sin that doesn't lead to death. It's not the end of the world. Um, it's horrible. It, it's 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 a sin that they should not be committing. But it's not that they can't recover from it. There are so many people. Um, you know, and maybe this is one of those sidelines. There are many people who believe that there's things that have happened to them or past things that have happened to them that they cannot recover from. That's that's that's. That's not necessarily biblical. You can recover. You can be healed. You can be restored. God can use those difficult things to be a testimony or a witness for other people. Okay? Sometimes, sometimes that, that trauma exists so you can be more dependent on the Lord each and every day of your life. And you can become a witness or a testimony of God's grace in your life, even in the midst of the difficulties and the traumas that you've, you've experienced. That's a really hard place to get to, absolutely, because there's so much work of the Spirit of God that has to happen there. And we acknowledge that. But John is saying that it's not, you know, it's, it's not a sin that leads to death. In fact, you're still a believer. God forgives you. You can be healed. Eternal life is still yours. But John goes on to, you know, to the flip side of this. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. And notice this, you know, John's acknowledging that everybody sins, that all wicked actions are, are sin, okay? And, and if, if, you, if you read it carefully, he's including both believers and non-believers, that that's just the reality. But he says that there are some sins that happen that do lead to death, okay? What John is actually doing here, and again, I'm not, you know, I could take a long time to unpack all of this, but remember at the beginning of the series, we talked about all these, all these faults kind of doctrines and, 
and theories that were coming out about Jesus. Jesus was just fully human, um, but, you know, God's spirit invaded him at his baptism, um, you know, or Jesus was just fully divine, right? He never was, he never was human. We only saw him as a human being, you know, those kinds of things, all those, all those doctrines. Those are what John is talking about in this particular letter. Those people that have come across, like Serinthus that we talked about, you know, who said Jesus was a normal human being, who became the Christ, or the Docetists that said that Jesus was only divine and he only appeared human, or the Gnostics that denied that Jesus was God in the flesh, like all of those things. Because shortly, even after shortly after the resurrection, all these false theories and false, you know, um, notions about Christ uh, came. And, and many of them still exist today, believe it or not. People, um, John's you know, main purpose of the letter in, in many ways is to make sure that we fully understand who the person of Jesus Christ is. He wasn't just a good man who had a real connection to God and he just ended up getting martyred because he got caught or he got you know, in an unfortunate political position and he had to be taken care of. Like None of that uh, is found, found biblically. You know, divine son of God, second person of the Trinity, came for the redemption of humanity, was the suffering servant proclaimed in Isaiah 53, came to suffer and die and to be raised again to life so that we could be new creations, that we don't have to die in our sins, that we don't have to, you know, wonder if there's anything such an eternal life or anything like, you know, all of those beautiful things. And John's reiterating these all through his his passage. So John is, you know, targeting these people who have walked away from the faith and say, ah, you know, I don't believe that stuff about Jesus anymore. And he's saying those people are actually sinning to the point that it's, it's the end. Eternity no longer exists for them. To deny Jesus means that you lose eternity. Okay, that's, that's basically what John is, is saying here. I mean, we could expand on that tremendously, but you know, that's one of those things. That, that's one of those truth points that John is bringing up. That's why it breaks my heart when I hear of people walking away from the church or walking away from Jesus. Absolutely breaks my heart because I can't, you know, you, you cannot look at a passage like this and say, man, this is really serious stuff. You just can't walk away from Jesus and think it's not going to impact your eternity. It's got something to say about your eternal soul if you walk away. Okay? So, that's the truth that, that John brazenly brings to the forefront uh, near the end of his letter. All right, so let's, let's keep going. Um, here we are at verse 20. Um, and we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. Notice how powerful that, that is for John. The Son of God has come. We know this. I walked with him. I lived with him. I witnessed him. I touched him. I heard him. I saw, like, all of those things. All of those, you know, uh, proof points that we ask, well, did you hear him? Did you see him? Did he do a miracle? Did he? All of those things that we would stand up. If John was here right now, we asked him all those questions, John would say, every single one of them I witnessed firsthand, and I know. I saw it, felt it, 
heard it. All of those things. Okay? And we now live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this is radical even at the time. We know who the true God is. Is because you know in that culture, you know atheists were the minority, like people who didn't believe in any kind of god. There were people that doubted the gods, you know, or or, or doubted if the gods had any care about the human condition. But this is radical, even for the time. We know the true God. What? It's not Zeus. It's not the emperor. It's not, you know, the whole plethora of gods. It's not the Egyptian pantheon. It's not the, you know, um, uh, Persian pantheon or the Greek or the Roman. Like, gods were, gods were in, in, in multitudes at the time. And here's John whittling all, all away and saying, no, here it is the true God. You want to live a life of spirituality, like just pull all of those back, throw them all away. Here is the true God. No mixing of words or, or even, even implying that any of them have any value. If we know the true God, then we have fellowship with the true God. He is the only true God. And not only that, but he is eternal life. You know, um, you can't ignore Jesus Christ and just say, I believe in God and expect eternal life. For John, that's not an equation that works. It's Jesus Christ, eternal life, or nothing. That's, that's the way this letter, we're just being faithful to the text, but that's the way that it's communicated here. So here's how John ends the letter. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. In other words, don't accept any substitutes because no substitutes exist. Jesus is the real thing. Let me, let me give you a definition of eternal life as John gives it here. Eternal life is the experience of a life inspired by God's Spirit to speak truth and to live out love consistent with God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's, um, that's the way that John defines eternal life. That eternal life is the person of Jesus Christ and living with the truth, with his truth, and with his love in your life. And upon the point that you become a believer, eternal life begins as an experience for you right here right now and moves into you know past the grave but in John's economy eternal life as a future thing may be a reality absolutely a reality for those who claim faith in Christ but it begins at the point of belief and we live that truth of Jesus Christ in our lives that we experience a touch of heaven and a touch of eternity right here right now that's what it is. All right, I want to I wanna just close with um, a caption or a, 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 you know, a, a PowerPoint slide that we had a few weeks ago that I thought summarized um, the tensions that we have with truth and love as given in this particular letter. Um, why is love and truth so hard? 
because we know that those are real tension points for many, many people. And, and here's, here's why it's a tension point. Because love can demand more of me than I'm willing to give. How many of us know in our hearts that the loving thing to do is to give like this, or to act like this, or to say this, or to be this in the moment? But because of the situation or the emotional baggage or the circumstance we find ourselves, we don't want to express love in that way because it's demanding more of me than I'm willing to give in the moment. And that's, and that's hard, right? It's not easy. And there's times where the Spirit of God has to, has to prompt us to do, act, and be in a way that is more like Jesus and less like ourselves. That's why love can be so hard because there's many times it demands more of me than I'm willing to give. And then when it comes to truth, truth can demand more of me than I'm willing to accept. There are times that we hear something, and and we might hear something that might hurt us because it's a very hard truth. And the first thing we we do is is we become defensive or or we we you know justify our actions or we point the fingers and 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 all of this stuff. And again, it's not that you're you know abnormal. You're human. You're absolutely normal. But sometimes it takes the Spirit of God as we walk away from the situation to kind of impress upon us that, listen, you, you need to understand that some truth was part of that conversation that you needed to hear. Okay? That's why this letter is so hard for many people because so much of what John talks about when it comes to love it's hard for us to accept because it's demanding something of me that I might not be willing to give. And yet when it comes to truth, right, there's certain elements of truth here that are hard for us to accept. We might accept it personally, but it might mean something for people that we care about. We have people in our family who won't accept this kind of truth about Jesus Christ. And yet John is very clear, without it, they are in peril. And that for us is hard. And sometimes we're just willing, not willing to accept it and say, well, maybe God's got a plan B. And that's just natural. Can we just, can we just talk about that being natural reaction and why this letter is so powerful in what it communicates? Because it hits us at the two greatest tension points in our lives when it comes to love and when it comes to truth. You know, I started this, this series um, a number of weeks ago and we said, you know, that we hear all the time that love is blind. But what if a lack of love is what truly makes us blind? What if it's a lack of love that blinds us to the truth that's, you know, standing right in front of us? Because we aren't looking at the situation through the lens of love. Maybe, maybe we miss uh, you know, the truth of the reality. Maybe it's a lack of love for Jesus, too, that causes us to miss the truth that's right in front of us. I think, I think in our world, it's often a lack of love that causes us to miss the sufferings of other people, the lives that other people are living, where we're more comfortable to judge them but if we had a love, maybe, maybe 
we would see their situation and their circumstances in a far different light. And maybe it would allow us an opportunity to see what God sees in them. I don't think love is blind. I think love is the most eye-opening thing we could ever experience. In fact, I think it's a lack of love that really makes us blind, especially when what we need to see is what God sees. Because God is love, he sees reality, he sees us, he sees our circumstances, he sees the world around us through eyes of love. And when we see it through the same lens that God does, our whole lives become radically, radically changed. It makes a difference in your own life. It makes a difference in the people that you care about. It makes a difference in the community that you're part of. It makes a difference in the entire world because that's the difference when we embrace love and truth the way John wants us as expressed in this letter of 1 John. Um, I pray you've been blessed. Look forward to being with you next week as we start our 50th anniversary celebration. We've got lots of things in store and, and people that you're going to hear from and just be encouraged that God is a faithful God. That's our theme for the 50 years, is faithful God, faithful people. And I think it's, it's incredibly timely that we're talking about a faithful God in a season that we're experiencing right now. God has not walked away from the church. God is still at work. And I hope you'll join us next week as we celebrate 50 years of proclaiming the good news. God bless you.